And finally, after a long, long two weeks, we are back here on the Dagger. Uh, I'm Justin Pierce here alongside Corey Kennedy. Uh, folks, we have a very, very big surprise for you uh, during the show, so stay tuned. Corey, how is it going? It's going good. Yeah, we had a little week off, a um, little, little regroup, um, get back to our regular scheduled program. Uh, so we're doing good. We have, have got uh, a, a great podcast lined up, a uh, little surprise like JP was talking about, and we got a lot of sports to talk about, some fun. Um, we got, you know, it's conference title week, so we got, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And then the NFL season's already winding down. It's kind of crazy to think about. And the NBA season's coming back. So um, a lot of good, fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, big week of uh, sports coming down uh, to the wire in 2020. We're going to get into some uh, action here in a moment, but we're going to go over what we're going to go over um, during the show. So our rundown for to, for this week's show, excuse me, is uh, a little bit of NFL action, uh, talk Chargers, talk Giants, uh, two teams, both that went in opposite directions of where they were originally going. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Um, talk about the rest of the field, the rest of the NFL as well. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some college basketball. UVA is off to a hot start. Uh, they're five and zero to uh, to start the season, and you know Duke's fallout. Where where are they now? How do they stand? Uh, what are they going to do moving forward? Um, so yeah, and also we have a special guest on the show. Our set, our uh, third one, excuse me, um, Taylor James, for, former Lax Cat, is going to be uh, joining joining the bit with us. Um, throughout the show so uh stay tuned for that guys uh great interview uh we had talked a lot of uh arizona wildcats football we dove into that broke it all down heavily i i would say it was a very very detailed conversation uh we went over uh the pac-12 uh preview pac-12 championship preview between oregon and usc and we also talked a little bit of lakers and clippers uh to end that interview but after that interview what we're going to be what we're going to be having for you guys is uh, a little bit of uh the normal dagger stuff that we have on on our show uh dagger or no dagger dagger five and then our dagger of the week um so yeah let's get let's get started Corey. uh chargers they somehow they somehow moved down in the draft board like they moved like from like like outside of the top five to number four I think and they won on Sunday so they beat the Falcons they out they out Falcon themselves <laughs> on the uh, last drive there's like there's a couple interceptions by Matt Ryan uh Herbert th- Herbert threw one as, as well I think mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken so yeah there is uh, both teams turning it over. It was literally the ending like like we all expected. Uh, nothing new to us, nothing foreign. But the Chargers actually won on a game-winning kick. They didn't miss one for once. And the, it would have been the most fitting thing for both of those teams to go into overtime. So, yeah. Yeah, so the Chargers won. Uh, they play Thursday night against the Las Vegas Raiders, not Oakland. Almost said Oakland, but... 
yeah, it's it's getting it's gonna get really really interesting to see how uh, how the Chargers go about things for the final three weeks. I mean, they play three divisional opponents, and mm-hmm. as you know, Anthony Lynn hasn't won the division since uh, the end of 2018. So it's it's been a long drought, Corey. Uh, yeah. How do you think the Chargers can approach the rest of the season? Do they want to end on a high note going into next season, or should they should they go four and twelve and get one of the best uh, left tackles in like five years? Yeah, I mean this this is tricky. Um, I think especially for the Chargers with Anthony Lynn on the hot seat. Um, you know, people thought he should have got already been fired at this point. You know, after that forty-five to zero loss to the Patriots. Um, and so, yeah, so this is a tricky one because you can look at it a lot of different ways, but I think like overall in the locker room, if you, if you try to tank for the draft, I, I think that's just brutal for Anthony Lynn, you know, for his status and for, for the players of the team. Um, Keenan Allen talked about after the game that this one was great for the locker room. Um, and so, you know, getting lot, you know, consecutive losses, like, you know, say Chargers lose the last three games of the year you know, that's tough for the locker room. That's tough to build momentum to next year. So, but then the plus side, you know, you get a higher draft pick. So that, I mean, this is a tricky dilemma that um, pro sports face. Um, do we tank? Do we ride it into the next year? What do we do? I think that, you know, I think Anthony Lynn's going to be pushing for this team to keep going and, and keep those guys. And I'd hope the players, especially because it's divisional games, you know, if these weren't divisional games, I'd say, you know, I throw it out the window let's get that draft pick. But these are divisional games. Anthony Lynn's on the hot seat. These players, uh, you know, they need to prove something. Um, and so, I mean, especially guys like Hunter Henry. Um, I mean, even Austin Eckler, he signed his deal, but he might not be there in, in you know, a few years, from five or four years down the road or whatever, looking ahead in the future. So I think that they got to go out, get these division wins. And especially, you know, looking at this Raiders team tomorrow night to play Thursday night, um, I think they got to go in and get a win. How, how, what do you think? How do you approach this? Yeah, I, I really just don't like, I just never liked watching the Raiders growing up. I just, hmm. any, anytime it's a divisional opponent, it feels like it's personal, but it's, it's just one of those things where the Chargers have nothing to gain or nothing to lose at this point. I mean, if they win, they're going to fire their head coach anyways. If they lose, they're going to fire their head coach anyways. Um, the Chargers really don't have a defense to make that choice of whether they want to, uh, whether they want to tank or whether they want to like win. Because I mean, they they don't really have a choice. They're going to be in a very high scoring game um, again this week. Uh, I know they weren't last week, but last time they played the Raiders, it literally came down to the wire of yeah. um, <laughs> a dropped ball in the end zone determined. Uh, whether they won the game or not. I just don't understand why and how this Charger team has gotten cursed like this so much this year. And, you know, it would be the most Charger thing ever to win three straight and get yourselves out of a out of a good draft pick. So, I mean, they need to really reevaluate <laughs> where they are, where they are going to be anyways, because if they do, if they do draft it like number four, they're going to have to trade back anyways. I mean, they probably would trade back. I mean, I don't know if I would pass up one of the best left tackles in the, in the, um, in the draft, but they, they just need to figure it out whether like what their offense, I mean, they, they have 
linemen on that team that, you know, probably wouldn't start on other teams. Uh, they have a secondary that's very brittled and beaten up. Uh, they're playing Jaleel die, so I know that's, I mean, that's a wash. I mean, that, it's, that's, all, that's all you need to say about their secondary. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, it's a very, very uh, tough deal for the Chargers. They need to get Derwin James back. They need to fill some holes. Uh, it's really, really bad to see, you know, they traded Desmond King at yeah, the beginning of the year for a six-round pick. So I, I didn't understand that. Like, why not let him play out the year? And, you know, it's, you know, I didn't, I don't understand some of this stuff chart, the, the Chargers do um, when it comes to their play calling. Obviously, that's going to change next year. Uh, it's a very, very good opening in L.A., definitely. Uh, one of the best openings in the NFL. Uh, you could see some really, really good college coaches, like, coming up to coach in the NFL um, next year. And we talked about what, who might replace Arizona's uh, head coach early mm -hmm. on the, um, or actually later on in the podcast. But I mean, it's just, it's just so, so, so mind blowing that um, this, the culture of this team is still the same and it, they went back to their old ways. And it's just, I don't know, stuff's got to change. They need to pay for a head coach. Like they can't, they can't get a running back specialist. They can't get a, uh, um, like special team specialists, like they, they need to get someone that actually knows the concepts of um, all three phases of the game. Like there's like an offensive specialist or a defensive specialist, um, not, not a position specialist, like the position specialist stuff doesn't yeah. work in the NFL. Um, and it just shows maybe Philip Rivers was covering some of those holes like for all those years uh, with Anthony Lynn. Mm -hmm. Am I right? I mean, like they went nine, seven the first year, twelve and four, then dipped down to five and eleven, and then he got released, and now he's playing on the Colts, and he's, uh, like he's on his way to potentially winning the division and getting a wild card or getting a wild card spot. So I mean, um, it wasn't Rivers' fault. Uh, Rivers' fault. They're still losing the same way. So it's yeah. either you gut the team and rebuild, or you move on and. Um, actually like literally trade every single piece that you can for other draft picks so yeah yeah that's true I mean and you bring about you bring up the point about the head coaching position I mean you know it's like who you know, you'd think who wouldn't want to be there um you know it's a state-of-the-art facilities um one of the best stadium in the you know or you know not if not the best stadium in the NFL or in sports in general um and just being in LA um and and you know all that comes with that but uh yeah just Anthony Lynn I mean a lot of a lot of heat goes on Anthony Lynn but if you think about you look at the offensive coordinator he's basically he's kind of almost he, he's kind of a replacement offensive coordinator as well that he got um I believe it was was it uh last year was uh Ken Wiesenhunt or whatever yeah Ken um, Wiesenhunt was the OC last year the OC last year got fired mid-season and then St uh, Shane Steichen right is the current um O coordinator yeah. and you know looking at going into halftime they had a questionable run play that bled out the clock um and Anthony Lynn looks over he's like why didn't you run it but then the weird thing was that Anthony Lynn was acting as the special team coordinator and the head coach for that game and they decided to run the ball the clock goes down to zero when they're literally within five yards of the, of the touchdown um of the goal line so these are just miscues like that 
Um, you know, it's things we expected with the Atlanta Charger game, but it's crazy that it went down like almost as scripted where 50 seconds left, um, Herbert throws a pick with the game tied. And then you're thinking, um, oh man, Falcons are going to win this one. Their kickers were lining up, you know, warming up on the sideline. 36 seconds left in the game. Matt Ryan throws a pick on a first and 10 play. Um, and so props for, you know, the Chargers for turning that back around in their hands. Herbert drives him down a little bit there and Badgley nails the 43-yarder, which Badgley's been kind of been shaky to say the least this year. Um, but yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of things going on with the Chargers, a lot of extra stress added. You, you, you got to think that they need somebody that will, can change this, can, you know, calm the nerves, um, almost, you know, make this not a worry. You, you shouldn't be worried about your game strategy, um, you know, little things like this at the NFL, um, you should be worried about getting these wins, closing out games. So hopefully they can bring on someone like that. Yeah. And uh, they're going to have to pay for coaches. They, they can't give them, they can't give coaches minimum wage deals. They need to start acting up and give their future, uh, like they need to give their future a chance because they don't want to repeat of Phillip Rivers for 16 years where you made one AFC championship game with, Hopping talent basically because the coaching wasn't there so they don't want to repeat of that and they need to fix their special teams i mean their their special teams they mm. they go cheap on all, all the time like it's inept it's stubbornness like not, no one on the chargers has changed their ways like i like i don't understand it like it's special yeah. teams problems throughout the 2010s like they've won um they didn't win the division at all throughout the last dec the last decade. They haven't won it since two thousand nine. They made the playoffs twice in ten years. Yeah. So they need to they need to get it together. But the Giants, they uh they're going in a weird direction because Daniel Jones was hurt on Sunday and still played. Uh they lost yeah. to a struggling Cardinals team, uh twenty six mm -hmm. to seven, I think. Uh, but the Giants are still in there. Like the Giants are still in the mist, and they play the they play the who do they play this week. They play the uh, Browns. Browns. Yeah, Sunday Night Football. Um, Flexed up the Sunday Night. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I, I almost said the Redskins. I don't know why, but they play the Browns, and the Browns are feeling themselves. Baker Mayfield is feeling himself. I mean, this is going to be a heck of a matchup. I mean, the Giants' defense is really, really good, and they're going to step up this game. Uh, they've been playing mobile quarterbacks for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray are no joke, mm -hmm. but Baker isn't as mobile, and you know he's he's still feeling himself. And like, this is two teams, or this is two parts of each team that are that are hot. I mean. Also, you got to look at it like this, too. The, the Browns' defense has been struggling. Uh, allowed 38 points to the Titans, allowed 40-plus to the Ravens. Yeah. Uh, this Giants team, it, this is going to be an interesting game because I don't know where to stand on this, whether, it, like, um, whether it's points uh, favored or points allowed. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's going to be weird. Um, Corey, what do, you, what do you think about Sunday night, and how do you think uh, each team will come out? Yeah, well, it's crazy that the game got flexed uh, last weekend from a, just a regular 10 a.m. game here on the West Coast to a 5.20 primetime Sunday night football. Um, and I believe it knocked out the Cowboys and Niners 
you know, we all thought, you know, before the season, Cowboys probably won the division. Niners would probably be back in the Super Bowl race. But, you know, there's a lot of injuries after injury, blah, blah, here we are. We get Giants-Browns in the playoff contention. Um, and so I think that's going to be an interesting one. I got to say, though, the Giants game uh, last Sunday against Cardinals, that was, that was tough to watch. Uh, Daniel Jones just didn't look 100%. Um, the offense was just getting brutal. I mean, punt, punt, punt fumble um i believe a guy on the cardinals had set the record for most sacks by an individual cardinal player i think he had six sacks one of them yeah. being a, a fumble a strip sack fumble um and so daniel jones got worked colt mccoy actually came in the game late um because daniel jones kind of limped off the field with that hamstring uh holding the hamstring so colt mccoy a few plays in he got hit for the fumble um covered by the giants though but um, so it's a tough one. I mean, you, you, you almost think maybe they shouldn't have played Daniel Jones. They should have just kept Colt McCoy in there, but either way, it looked like the offense wasn't going to be moving and I have to give credit. I mean, the Giants, they did hold, they held, they held Kyler Murray in check for as long as they possibly could. Um, they, I think the first or second or first drive for the Cardinals, they hold them, they held them on the fourth and goal. Um, so that, that was, that was pretty promising and the, the score could have been a lot higher. Uh, on the Cardinals side. So the Giants are definitely going to have to get that offensive production back up. And I think that this can be a game where they do that. Um, I really like what the Giants were doing, but they just were on the field so much that it was like, you know, the offense didn't help them out at all. So I think, I mean, I think the Giants could pull this one off. It, they're going to have to keep it low scoring. If they can't get up to 30, 40 points, um, you know, if, the, if Browns touch 30 points, it's going to be, uh, you know, pretty much a done game for the Giants. So, um, but if they can get back to the run game with Gallman and get him going again, Alfred Morris, um, no Saquon, you know, obviously, but um, get Darius Slayton involved, Evan Ingram involved early. We'll see about Daniel Jones. I don't know. If, I'm not sure if he's playing yet. I think he might be questionable. Um, but but um, I, I, they definitely need it too. Washington kind of took up that uh, half game lead with, you know, they didn't have the, if Giants didn't win those two games, then, the Washington, Washington would be the outright leader, but um, yeah, I think that I think the Giants can get it get it done though. Sunday Sunday primetime game, so should be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a weird game. I think uh, I think we're gonna see a lot of like true colors out of these teams, and I don't think it's streaky at all about where each of these teams are going. But you know, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. It's gonna be a shootout, maybe. I. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Browns. Browns, Browns are yeah. favored. Um, I'm going to go with them. They need 10 wins on this season because they haven't gotten that in like gotten who knows how long. So I'm going to go with the yeah. Browns for now. I may change it throughout the week, but Browns minus four, uh, take it to the bank. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Love it. yeah, take it to the bank. Uh, let's talk yeah. college, uh, college basketball. Um, let's get into uh, some U of A hoops. Uh, U of A is doing uh, really, really well to start their season. So uh, five and zero to start start the year. Uh, Corey, I mean, what do you have to say about this U of A team? I know you haven't uh, uh, you've had, you've watched them a little bit this year. Uh, we haven't followed them as much as like recent years because of like the coronavirus and starting late and uh, local Pac-12 network TV and yada yada yada. But 
when we have gotten when we have gotten a chance to watch him, I mean, what what have you liked out of this team so far? Yeah, um, quick little quick little stat before um, last time Browns won more than ten games was uh, 1994. Um, they won 11 games that year, uh, 94. Um, so little brown little brown stat. Um, and so yeah, U of A basketball, yeah, like you said, um, uh, you know, usually we're at the games as students. You know, we're in the zone of zoo. We could see how this team is um, looking, preseason hype, this and that. Um, but, yeah, this team is definitely – I, I kind of like it. You know, they're taking the underdog method, and it and it's, you know, not that many hype, not that many five-star, four-star recruits to get excited about. Um, but they have provided some some really fun and exciting games. I mean, they're 5-0 and right now. Um, no, like, big, you know, big-time games, like primetime games that we can – talk about yet early it's too early yet um but um a guy like jamar baker who scored 30 i think he had 33 31 points uh, a couple games ago and he set the most points um for a player under sean miller so i think he and and watching him watching his going back watching his highlights um i like what he can bring to the table it, his jumper was on fire from behind the three-point line as well too um and so i think they these are kind of like a, a list of you know under the radar guys they could they could be an under the radar team that that carries them throughout this weird covid uh filled season um so i believe they're going to be facing stanford coming up on in a couple of days so it's going to be fun to to you know get into the the meat of the season and and watch them see where they go and see where this year takes us too so yeah um they play a weird set. I mean, they play like three point guards, I think. So they play uh, Akinjo, uh, Baker, and um, they play someone else, uh, Dale and Terry. I'm pretty sure. So they play they play three guards. So um, that's a, that's a very very complex system. I know that Thunder tried it last year. They did it with okay. uh, Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, but that it's it's a really 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 interesting formula for uh, U of A to start out with by doing by having all those ball handlers on the court. I think I think it fits well for Kinjo's style of play because of how much he likes to handle the ball. Uh, kind of reminds me of Kyrie, not with the handles of course, but like the way he plays, um, more of a flasher, take it up himself kind of guy, but can but can also shoot. Uh, but that's that's just more of how I see it with that offense. Uh, I really really like uh, Jordan Brown so far. Um, he's doing well. Coloco is he was a little bit rough out of the gates, but he, I think he's gonna find him find his step uh, moving forward. But I mean, I really still the energy guy off the bench. They need the three four year guys and uh, yeah, and they have Kerr coming back too. Kerr is gonna be. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the yeah, one of the good Euro players for them. Uh, he's going to be nice once he's eligible to play. But I mean, overall, Arizona basketball is uh, in really really good shape right now, and they set up they're setting up the foundation for a really really solid program for uh, the next couple of years. So I'm really excited to see how this team is uh, doing and. You know, all, over the years, we're going to compare a little bit, but someone got fired because he did uh, he did less with more, basically. That's what he did at A&M. And we gave someone less. We, he's, we, we weren't good in the Pac-12 before, and 
you know, he underachieved once again. I mean, like he, we were coming off a really good season. He came in, uh, former SEC coach of the year, really underachieved, lost 12th straight, and he was out of there. Meanwhile, Miller uh, came from a really, really good uh, program at Xavier. And he set the he set the culture program um, culture at the program, and you know drew in he drew recruits all over the West Coast and it's you know UCLA hasn't done that well consistently it's always been U of A on the West Coast U of A Oregon Gonzaga like you name it I mean like it's always it's always those schools so. Yeah. Like once UCLA gets back on the gets back on track, uh, they'll be deadly as well in the Pac-12. But uh, Sean Miller likes to do a lot. He does he does more with less. I mean, I don't even remember U of A having a like not having a winning season, even in like the most like terrible seasons that we've had, yeah. like even a couple of years ago, where U of A had like one big and they were playing Dylan Smith at center, and mm-hmm. You know, they still went 17-15. Like, that's just the kind of uh, recruits that Sean Miller brings in. I mean, he brings in guys who are, like, either, like grad transfers that are veterans and leaders that want an opportunity. And he brings in guys that are going to stay three, four years. And that's what he did this year. It's kind of like a Gonzaga recruiting class, to be honest, yeah. in terms of depth. Not not skill level. Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, that's true. Um, I do kind of like to see this new form of Sean Miller basketball that, that, like you were saying, you know, even with the guard situation, but then also talking about people they're staying for, you know, just pa- staying past their freshman year and getting into their sophomore, junior, senior, you know, and staying with the team all four years. So that's something that would be cool to, to see. Uh, play out and then also you know a year or two down the road we can get back to those star recruits that they bring in um, kind of like the DeAndre Ayton's, Nico Mannion, Josh Green style um, players like that and and mix those in with veteran guys and yeah we could have like we could get back to that top 10 product that you know that Sean Miller can you know definitely has put out before so um, yeah so that, that'll be fun to watch this year and I just hope that you know, this is kind of a, you know, it's a weird year again, like it is for so many sports, but, you know, we, it was such a bummer not to watch March Madness last year and Sean Miller, you know, they were in the Pac-12 tourney making their way through and then everything got shut down. And, you know, you, you experienced that firsthand, like you're out there in Vegas. Um, so I just hope that we can see this year play out and the season play out and, and gets, they can get, the cats can get some momentum going into that, um, to the end of the season, into the Pac-12 tourney. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting for Arizona how they compare to some of the Pac-12 teams because uh, I know they played UTEP and they played uh, they beat UTEP by eight. Meanwhile, ASU lost to UTEP by thirteen. Mm-hmm. So uh, not a good look for uh, um, the school up north so far, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they how they fare in the Pac-12. Um, this is one of ASU's best teams too in the last like twenty years. So. They started the year ranked, and they've kind of slid um, since then. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how U of A does against ASU. But meanwhile, uh, the ACC, um, Coach K, uh, pulling his team out of all the non-conference games, and they started a conference game this week. 
against uh, Notre Dame, and uh, they beat Notre Dame. So, um, what do you think about that move, Corey? The yeah, the yeah, that so Coach K pulled out the pulled the players out. Yeah, he pulled. No, I, I mean they they canceled all their games basically for uh, all the non-conference games. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. So, and there was, it was, there was only like two, two left, but I mean, what are your okay. thoughts? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I mean, because before, you know, before, when, before, when sports went away, like disappeared for the, you know, the couple months, like March, April, May, um, I think that's what some of these plans were, was just doing conference only. Um, and so I think, Maybe he's kind of going now that there's this new spike going on, um, going into the end of the year that he thought maybe just get to those conference games um, and maybe leading that way, but leading the way and doing that. But it seems like all other teams across the country are going to keep playing their regular schedule. So, I mean, that is maybe a little bit of a power move by Coach K to do that. You know, um, it's kind of college basketball royalty, royalty as well, but maybe he does have that power, power to do that. But, um, you know, I just, I feel like, you know, if you're the coach, you know, you, you prepare for these teams, you want to play them, you know. Um, so to, to pull out of these games is, is maybe a little bit kind of like a slap to the face to the other teams. So, you know, get a chance to play Duke and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know. What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the players seemed mentally exhausted. Uh, you could tell in their matchups against Michigan State and Illinois. Uh, you can tell they're kind of like – half in and half out of it um I just need to see I need to see more out of Duke and I I want to see them at 100% obviously but uh yeah ACC play is going to be big for them because they need to win their conference I mean in order to be a top two seed in the NCAA tournament again but they need to I mean they need to like mentally lock it in because I mean they're not gonna get breaks like that ever again. So mm-hmm. um they yeah, so I think they they had one game this week and then they have one game next week. But after that it's gonna be um they're gonna have to get used to the pace of play and really catch up to some of these teams who actually played uh more non conference games than they did. So I think uh Coach K is he he was under heat a little bit, but I, I definitely get it from a mental health standpoint why they pulled out of some of those games, but I think they need a I need I think they need a lock it in for uh, um, starting in twenty twenty one once the new year hits. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a whole extra layer of craziness that all the athletes across the world have had to deal with now. With you know they got to worry about their health, you know, as far as you know injury wise, but then also the COVID health and mental health. Um, on top of what would already be there. So yeah, just a crazy year to navigate. And I think when we look back at this, this will be one of the toughest sports times that we've gone through just because of you're trying to predict all these different factors. Um, and, you know, just when it comes to COVID, you can't really predict it. Predict it. So yeah, that mental, mental toll is big time. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what's well up, Corey. But yeah, we're going to talk a talk um a lot in this upcoming interview uh you guys will be really really dialed in it's a really fun uh listen but uh Corey do you want to preview a little bit what we're uh what we'll be discussing and what points are going to be brought up during this uh um interview with Taylor 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, we got, we, I reached out to Taylor. Uh, we always, we wanted to have him on the pod uh, and he, he, this was a good week for him. So boom, we got him on. Um, and so, you know, the headliner was the Kevin someone firing after the 70 to seven loss to ASU. So that was a big chunk of discussion. We talked about, you know, what we got to do or what U of A needs to do to change the culture, get back to the winning program. We kind of highlighted some of the, uh, the key hire, hires, name drops um, that, we, that we like and how we can fix this um, as, as a whole, as a Tucson community and everything like that. Then we get into some UC, USC football, previewing, previewing that, their Oregon matchup uh, for the Pac-12 title game. Um, and then we go into some Clipper, Clipper Laker talk, uh, some fun little fan from fan perspective, and then also kind of analyzing what um, the Lakers, you know, what they did in the free agency market offseason moves, quick offseason. But yeah, so and then NBA opening day is coming up. So uh, it was a really fun time. Huge shout out to Taylor for joining. And so I think you guys have a fun time listening to this. Yeah, uh, so we're going to take you guys there right now, but stay tuned uh, for um, – stay tuned throughout the pod. We're going to be going over our Dagger 5 uh, and the rest of our Dagger segments through uh, after this interview. So stay tuned and enjoy, guys. Welcome to this special edition of the Dagger. We got a little bit of content to go over, but first we we have to introduce a special guest on our show. Uh, former Lax Cat Taylor James. Taylor, what's up? How yes, we sir. We checking in live, man. We we coming to you live from three different cities. We got the the Newport in the in the house. The uh the Wahedon. Correct me on my pronunciation if I'm off. In uh, Los Angeles, California. We're all across the nation, baby. There you go. Yes, sir. Pleasure nationwide. to be here. Pleasure to be here, boys. Thanks for yeah, having us. <laughs> yeah, nationwide. Yes, Let's get it. So, um, yeah, we got we have some topics that we want to go over today. Um, the elephant you, in the room, man. Yeah, yeah, this week. So let's uh, let's get it going. So we're gonna do a little rundown before we go over that real quick. Uh, Arizona football uh, have to hash out some of the coaching hires that have that are taking place there. Uh, USC football. We'll give you guys a little bit of a preview for uh, this Friday's Pac-12 championship game between USC and Oregon. And then, of course, uh, the reigning NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers playing their first NBA game of the season on Tuesday against uh, not-so-rivaled Clippers in in Los Angeles. So uh, let's get this going. Um, first game's outside the bubble, so that's that's big. But let's get into Arizona. Let's get into uh, Wildcat Nation and uh, the coaching search going on there. So um, let's there's, do some it. Candid- there's some candidates thrown out there. Uh, Kevin, someone had an awful showing on uh, oh, man. last Friday against. Uh, and I want to give a State. I want to give a fair warning before we get we talk about this topic too long that we can't stay on it too long. Otherwise, I'm gonna need a therapist on, on call, man, to, to deal with my uh my issues as a result of this loss, man. It's been it's been a rough time to be an Arizona Wildcats football fan. I will tell you that. Yeah. yeah. So other than the the new indoor facility that they put in and uh, some of the recruits that they brought in for. Uh, the Wildcats this year, they did basically absolutely nothing under the Kevin Simlin era. Uh, nothing. 
nine, they had six conference wins. Uh, Rich Rod had five in his last year before he got fired at the U of A. Uh, fun fact for you guys there. Um, some some coaching hires are very, very interesting all around the country. All the firings, too, including Gus Malzahn at uh, Auburn. Had one national championship while he was there with uh, Cam Newton. And um, he's done pretty well in the SEC. Like, he, he, he was above 500 by a lot. Uh, he had a winning season every single, every single season he was there. And it seemed like, you know, the buyout was big. So, I don't know what his next adventure will be. But, I mean, Taylor, who do you see being the best fit for Arizona going into next season? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, man. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, obviously, I'm happy that someone is out of there, um, you know, and then I'm happy that his contract is, is up, too. Um, but one thing I do want to say is, you know, between him and Gus, the one thing they do have in common is these preposterous buyouts, man. I mean, it's just it's, – it's, it's blasphemous to see that, you know, a coach can have such a poor performance, but they have these stipulations within their contracts that entitle them to millions of dollars in a payday. Um, it's kind of a disincentive, I feel like, and I think that the, the landscape moving forward within college football um, and the narrative regarding these, these big-name coaching contracts definitely needs to change. Um, you know, with Arizona, we were on a 12-game losing streak, as my fellow alumni also know. Um, and, and, and so it's tough. It's tough, especially during a, a time where, you know, you're having budget cuts. We're cutting the recruiting um, budget some. A lot of staff positions have now been cut from the program. It's tough to, to see that going on and at the same time you know, see a guy having $7.5 million put into his bank account over the course of the next couple of months or so. Um, so it's tough, but regarding, you know, there's nothing we could do about the past, but regarding the future, um, two words for you boys, Antonio Pierce. That is my suggestion for the next coach. Wow. I'll lead the new era, era of Arizona football. Uh, and a lot of names are being thrown out there. We got Steve Sarkeesian. We got a, we got a couple big coaching names out there, but and Antonio Pierce, and I'll, I'll tell you guys why. Antonio Pierce is a former Arizona alum, balled out in the NFL. The man can lead. He was a captain of the Giants for many years. Um, in addition to that, he's a Los Angeles native, right? And Antonio Pierce has connections, being a Los Angeles native, with the California Community College. So he's got the SoCal pipeline going. He's recruited loads and loads of talent, SoCal talent out to ASU um, under Herm Edwards. And, um, you know, he, he's got a knack for that. He's got a knack for developing players and personnel development. He's got a lot of strong suits in that area. Um, and I think he's not a big name. He's right. He's a defensive coordinator right now at the school. And so he comes to Arizona without a hefty price tag, which is what I think that we need right now, especially with this foul going on and with the, the financial state of the program. I think that um, an efficient and um, a relatively cheap hire is something that would be very beneficial. I love it. I, I, I love it. Yeah, no, I think that's some great analysis there. And, and, and I, we, we talked about this earlier in the week, and you really convinced me on this. That, uh, and, you know, I love the Giants connection and what he did and bringing that hard-nosed defense back to U of A that, you know, one of the most notable teams that was that Desert Swarm, Arizona Wildcats, that, um, you know, maybe the most recognizable out of the Arizona team. So bringing back that de defensive hardness that we've been lacking, um, uh, you know, or, or overall, um, it seems like the, you've kind of been putting that, you, you, we blew up the air balloon and then, you know, like the nineties, early two thousands. And then over the last few years, it just boom, the needle has been in the air balloon. It just been all the way down to the bottom. So with this recent Kevin Sumlin firing. Um, but yeah, so th that's a great point there. Um, but I think as far as like, we're talking about head coaches um, that we want to bring to U of A. 
because um, you know we've seen games as students and we've seen games as alumni now and it's it's been rough you know I mean like going back to my freshman year we had college game day uh, US U of A UCLA that was kind of like the height of it and that was like my two months in uh, at campus but then ever since that it just went all the way down um, and you know it's been rough watching it as alumni too um, and so I think if you assess Kevin Sumlin, you, you want to look at recruiting, improving on like year to year basis, um, peaking at the right time throughout the season, um, capitalizing on key matchups, uh, rivalries, this and that, and then overall culture and chemistry. And then big thing, developing players for the next year, next level NFL, you know, their, their senior season, their junior season, um, and then bouncing back after losses. And if you look at all that stuff, Kevin Sumlin got, you know, F, F on all those, um, which is, you know, it's such a bummer for, you know, you hate to see someone before perform so poorly on their job, but then, you know, as students, alumni, donors, all this stuff, the city of Tucson, Pac-12, it's just, it's a tough one for all that. So, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And I want to, I want to touch on one of those things that you said, uh, Corey, regarding culture. You know, when Kevin Sumlin came into the University of Arizona, he said he was going to change the program's culture. And well, Fellas, he did that. He, he changed the culture, and we are now officially have a losing culture in the program. Um, we're losing on recruiting um, as a result of, you know, him, him getting fired. A couple of uh, top players have transferred or announced that they're intent to enter the transfer portal. Stanley Barrahill, one of the most notable names. But in regards to culture, I think that Antonio Pierce has a knack for really connecting with players um, and that personal connection that he has with them bodes well for shaping and molding um, the culture of a, of a team. And I think that that's really what Arizona needs right now, right? Um, I think it's, you need really a player's coach. And I think that's what Antonio Pierce is. I'll, I'll tell you a story about him. Um, Jack Jones, not sure if you guys are familiar with the name, um, former five-star cornerback coming out of Long Beach College, distinguished Long Beach College High School. Notable names come out there include Iman Biggie Marshall, um, Juju Smith-Schuster, as we know, great and a receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Um, Jack Jones is committed, played at SC for about two years um, alongside of Biggie Marshall, who's also in the NFL right now. Um, and Jack Jones got into a little bit of trouble. He's messed up with his classes, was on academic probation. Um, and then in summer, it kind of all came to head in summer 2018, he was arrested um, by the LAPD after breaking into Panda Express at 2 o'clock in the morning in downtown Sanders. What he was doing doing that, I can't tell you. What I can tell you, though, is that after that, he enrolled in community college, and his, his grades were so messed up, actually, he was just focusing exclusively on schoolwork. So he wasn't in football shape. I, I believe he dropped down as about 150 pounds, six foot, 150 pounds, so nowhere in football shape. But Antonio Pierce saw him, right? He saw him at that college. He knew him. He knew the name, obviously, being a SoCal product and Antonio Pierce having his LA connections. Um, and so he reached out to them, first just from a mentoring perspective. Um, and he, you know, he, he advocated on his behalf to Herm Edwards because Herm didn't really want anything to do with the kid. Um, and so next thing you know, he's getting into opportunity at ASU, and he's blossomed there. He's been one of their top cornerbacks um, this whole season. Um, and his life has really changed and turned around as a result, uh, and a huge credit um, not only to himself, but to Antonio Pierce. And so when you talk about a guy like that and you look at where Arizona football is in right now, we need someone who can turn the ship around. And I think Antonio Pierce is a, a great name um, for, at a great price point to go ahead and do that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. This is a this is a tough one, honestly. Um, I was I was thinking about it a little bit. I mean, um, like you you have a lot of a lot of good candidates out there. Uh, Brett Brennan to start off. I mean, this year he was Mountain West High Coach of the Year. 
they're in the San Jose State was in. Uh, they're going to be playing in the Mountain West Championship game against Boise State. Uh, so that's something to note as well. Uh, I'm usually a big face kind of guy, but I'm also usually more of a culture changing kind of like higher. I, I want, I want that for the program. And that's, that's something that's going to be very, very tough to find with the limited amount of coaches right now. Uh, honestly, to tell you the truth, I mean, I really like Gus Malzahn, honestly, at Arizona. I mean, as, as, Badly as he failed, uh, I, I wouldn't even say fail. As badly as he didn't live up to expectations in the SEC, he's not going to have that same kind of pressure in the Pac-12. So if you give him full, of, like he had a winning season every single year when he was at Auburn. Like if you give him, if you give him that full control of who he wants on his staff and who he's going to recruit and who he's going to take in, I think that's a big, big reason for anybody to go to Arizona and play for Gus Malzahn. But the only problem is you're going to have to reach out and recruit in your area. And I, I think that's one problem that Kevin Sumlin didn't, like, bring to U of A. He was recruiting all these players from Texas still. He wasn't going out and getting all the South Point kids who were committing to schools like Oregon, all the Big 12 schools, all the SEC schools. You need to go out and reach into your community and go out and bring in guys that really know how to get the job done and – uh, bring in a guy who really, really knows the area. So, I mean, right now for me, I feel more comfortable going with Brett Brennan as a, as the head, as the head coach of Arizona. I think it's the safer bet too. I mean, because you get an offensive mind that's in there, and you're going to be playing like, I mean, the defense will all work itself out. But I mean, if you have Arizona going going to a bowl. That's really all the expectations you need. You need to you need to go seven and five or eight and four and get to a bowl game and be playing <laughs> be playing like after Christmas and during the holidays. Like that's that's really what it's all about. And like that's the standard for right? me personally. Seeing this Arizona team not even make a bowl like four out of the five years that I've been following following this team is like unacceptable on all on all levels. I mean. Like you have to, you have to look at it like that. Like the expectations are, you make a bowl game and you hopefully win a bowl game. Like, like every other year maybe you win a bowl game, and you know, like you're living in Tucson, Arizona. So like it's the second best job in the country right now. Uh, Auburn's up there, but I mean it's in Auburn, Alabama. Not really much to do there. It's two hours from Atlanta. That's really all you get. Uh, I would say the best coaching job as well is Vanderbilt. You have to think about that, um, or it was at least until the hiring, early hiring this week. Um, they have the, they have the same expectations basically as Arizona. You go seven and five, you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and, uh, it's by far the, it was by far the best SEC city too in the country. So, uh, let's get that out of the way. Uh, Tucson is really, I mean, it's, it's really not that hard to recruit in Tucson. I mean, you have to look at other schools like Washington State, see all the players they're getting in, Oregon State too. Um, yeah, like Cal, Stanford, all the, all the expectations and requirements that academically that you need to get into those schools. Arizona's academics aren't, you know, they're not, they're, it's an 80% acceptance rate. You're like, you're going to have to, 
Like, you can bring in players. Like, it's great darn a factor. Like, I don't see how you can be – have that little restriction to your academics and still be this bad at recruiting. We need to get someone who knows how to recruit in the West Coast. Gus is, you know, the best candidate. I don't think he's the best fit. Brett Brennan's the guy for this job. Hey, hey, don't diss the academics too hard. We alumni, brother. <laughs> we yeah. got to get that Yeah, no, I mean, hey, I, <laughs> hey, I, 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 I mean, I, it was the only school I got into. I mean, that's all I needed, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, until Arizona figures it out, I'm covering up this shirt, and uh, we'll, we'll bring it out next season. How about that? There you go. One thing yeah. I want to talk about, too, is that, you know, me and Taylor being from – or growing up USC fans and then going to Arizona, um, it was something – it was a – it was a uh, it was like clockwork every year. U of A, we'd be stoked about the U of A season, and then – but we'd always be t- looking at USC, what they're doing, and then U of A just, you know, goes on a losing streak, and then me and, J- me and Taylor have to – take off the Arizona shirt, put on the SC shirt. And it was like, it out. yeah, it is like, you know, I, I love that, you know, like kind of the hometown pride, but I always wanted to always root for U of A, but they just weren't in a spot to root for, you know, and not making bowl games, you know, with three, you know, three, four wins on the year, this year, zero wins. It's just like, you, you want to root for your, your um, you know, where you went to school and all that stuff, but it just, they're making it hard. So um but then, so one question for you guys, as far as, you know, changing the culture and, and fixing this, uh, this program, do you guys think that the, 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 the future head coach for U of A, do they have to have U of A ties, you know, or at least Arizona State, you know, uh, the state of Arizona ties to, to fix this program? Or do you see people coming from, you know, no Arizona experience or um, uh, stuff like that to fix this? Um, I, think, I wouldn't say that they have to have Arizona ties. It'd be nice. You know, it'd be the icing on the cake, the, the bowl on the, the Christmas present under the tree, if you will. Um, but I don't think that um, it, that is a necessity um, to get the keys to the car. I think being a local talent would be great. Um, someone that had gone to school locally, someone that had local connections, so local community college coaches, high school coaches, that's great from the standpoint of recruiting, which, you know, JP talked on earlier. I think that that's something that we need moving forward. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily come into uh, Arizona ties. I mean, it would would be nice to have at the, at the end of the day, but I mean, like, um, I mean, you need a guy that's that's going to turn around the culture. I think uh, having a body of work like um, at you, that you did at your at your old school and turning around uh, the team and stuff like that. Um, I think it speaks a lot to what uh, what you're able to bring to the table. And how you're willing to adjust while you're in that role. Uh, I'll get, I'll get, I'll, I'll put in the lax tie example uh, real quick. Matt Blamey. Matt Blamey won the conference championships every single year at Sierra Nevada. And you know, as crazy as that sounds, like we, like there wasn't a lot of success early on, and you know, the team was falling short and stuff like that. But you turned, you turned it around next year, had a winning record, and then maybe if the pandemic didn't happen, maybe you know the second half of the season turns around and uh, the Cats get to the playoffs. But that's besides the point. That's all besides the point. You need someone in there. You need the guys around them to have Arizona ties so they know how to recruit in that area. And I think that's important to set the culture. If you have a bunch of guys around him that aren't Arizona guys and you let Arizona alum like Antonio Pierce, for example, walk all the way to Arizona State and – 
recruit up there, then that's a big problem. Like that's a big problem all around. And if you have a bunch of guys, like it's one thing to not have, like have a head coach not be from Arizona, but you need Arizona ties to recruit in that, in that area. So you can get all the South Point kids, all the Cali and Foothill kids, everybody that is in the area. So they shouldn't be walking to SEC or big 12 schools. And I think that's the, I think that's the thing right now. Like Air, like having someone, you can talk about how bad having someone was, but his assistant coaches were, I mean, his assistant coaches weren't the best. Not, part of that's on the players for wanting to keep certain coaches, and that's also also on him for being responsible and overlooking that and letting Arizona lose 12th Street. I mean, that's that's something that, I mean, like, that's something our, our lacrosse team's never even done. Like, 12th Street, 12th Street games, like, come on. That's like, tough. We've we've had big losing streaks. Ceiling is the too. floor. <laughs> we've had big losing streaks too. So yeah. 12, 12 games in two yeah. seasons, like that that something's gotta change there. They they need Arizona ties around the head coach that's there so they can make him feel comfortable. And it's unfortunate too, because I really think it's the players. You know, the fans suffer, of course we joke about it, but it's really the players at the end of the day who really um suffer as a result of that because it limits their exposure. And I think exposure is one of the top reasons players, um, you know, choose certain colleges over others um, to continue their athletic endeavors. Um, and so when you have such a losing record, you know, you're not going to get into those primetime TV spots. You're not going to get into those, you know, national rankings. And when you don't have the exposure and players are using that as a metric to, you know, catapult themselves to the next level um, and the propensity to do that on in each, you know, team that they get an offer from, you know, Arizona has nothing to offer in that category. Right. So. With ASU, I know that that's something that Antonio Pierce sold very hard. It was, hey, we have the facilities, we got the personnel, got one of the best coaches, we can get you there, right? You come play with us, and we'll take you to the promised land, right? You can't do that at Arizona right now. So I think the first step, you know, it's it's, it's steps to this, right? It's levels to this, as, as Meek Mill would say. And so the first step is we gotta we gotta change the culture, right? Once we change the culture, we can improve the program, and then once we improve the program, we can start bringing in more top tier talent from the Arizona area because. Tucson and Arizona, it has talent. California, it has talent. These are hotbeds, right? So, you know, there's some things that definitely need to uh, shift. Yeah, I think one thing to talk about, too, I mean, it's not going to be an easy job either to, for, for the next coach to come in and, and fix this overnight. So this could be something that takes a season or two or three um, to, 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 you know, feel the effects of. But it is, you know, it's a tough situation because of the, you know, the recent 77 loss, uh, the 12-game lose streak all that stuff going on. So I think it's really important to have whoever U of A hires, they get, it's gotta be someone that holds Arizona or University of Arizona near and dear to their heart because they, you know, they're, they're in for the ride, you know? They're, it's not gonna be overnight success. It's gonna be getting into the community, um, talking to local players, this and that. And so, um, I, yeah, I think it's gotta be someone that's, you know, they love the school, they love the state and they wanna really improve uh, you know, U of A in general and improve the Pac-12 with it too. Um, and so we can't have all, all these schools that are power five, but then they're unranked or outside of the top 20. Um, and so we need to build everybody up, the Pac-12 up um, to, you know, to get to that point. Um, and so I, my, my, my name drop for the hire would be uh, Joe uh, Salave. Uh, Salave, you said JP, right? Yeah, Salave from uh, Salave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's the current Oregon, University of Oregon, the defensive line coach. I think he would bring that uh, same type of thing that Antonio Pierce does. Um, and so I think, I think he'd be an awesome hire. Uh, I do like Brett Brennan as well, too, um, that JP mentioned. So, but yeah, I think, you know, 
hold, holding the Wildcats near and dear to their heart, bear down, and let's get this uh, culture switched around. Yeah. Hey, yeah. no Antonio Pierce love AP. No, no love for AP from JP. None of that. Oh, <laughs> hey, I said, uh, I, I said we need to bring in Arizona guys to help the help the new head coach out, and I think bringing Antonio Pierce would help a lot. I mean, you gotta get him to yeah. leave ASU, and I think that's I don't think that's a difficult task. I mean, we saw Demarco Murray uh, leave right away from U of A as the running backs coach to go go back to his alma mater, Oklahoma. All you have to do is give him the offer, and it's there. He'll take it. I mean, even Teddy Bruski too. Like he, he doesn't have to be a high coach. He just needs to be like helping out with the defense. Like you get some a face like that, not even just a face. Like you get a culture like that, like on the sidelines. You have guys who played for like, like there was zero pride in Arizona's last game against Arizona State. Mm-hmm. There was zero pride. That was why that a lot of the players and um, former coach. Uh, yeah, players and alumni were all on a uh, on a Zoom call earlier this week uh, to talk about the future and who they're going to hire and all that. So, I mean, the donors are there. The money's there. They need to get the right people around this program in order for, for this to turn around. Because I've seen, you know, we've all been in the highs and lows of a program. I mean, obviously. Like, we, we've all seen coaching changes. We've all been through. All, all like all sort of that stuff so I mean we've seen everything going on um how we know how to turn around a program we did it we think Arizona should do and uh take our advice and on doing the same thing and you know things will move forward like it should yeah definitely the one thing too um I, I that I would love to see from U of A is that the quarterback development I feel like um we kind of got a glimpse of Cleo Tate but that kind of, you know, that he had the Heisman campaign, Heisman hopeful uh, season. And then we thought maybe this development would change the next year, but that kind of sizzled out. Um, and so I would also, as much as I love the defense and alumni that we could bring in that are former defensive players, I also want to see that offense rise as well. Um, you know, because, I, you know, we can't, the defense can do a lot, but they can't, you know, the, the offense has got to help them out too. So um, I think, I think the quarterback development is a big thing. Grant Gunnell will hopefully change that narrative. Um, Who? Uh, Grant Gunnell. There you go. There, sorry. <laughs> Grant Gunnell. Like, no, we should be saying who. <laughs> Get them all out of here. <laughs> but, yeah, no, hopefully, hopefully he'll change that narrative. Um, but, you know, he got injured this year. It, it was a wacky year. So we'll, we'll just try to scrap this year as much as we can. Um, but um, yeah, so hopefully we could change that narrative too um, with the quarterback development. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, well, it's been a wacky I'm, year. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, my bad. I I was gonna say like, I'm still not off the Grant Cano bandwagon, and uh, I'm not gonna be off because I think he has potential. He is uh, still very young. I mean, all the players next year get an extra year of eligibility, so he'll be a sophomore again next year. And I like what he can do um, moving forward. I think he's one of Arizona's best QB prospects. And, you know, like Arizona had Nick Foles as their quarterback. I mean, best quarterback prospect they've had in their whole, like, entire history. And that's saying something. That's saying a lot about what our program's been through and the highs and lows of it. But – they need to go and keep this kid and do whatever they need to do to have him in an Arizona uniform next year because Kevin Sumlin's gone and that was Kevin Sumlin's guy. So the fact that he's going to be there, like, 
hopefully there in the future. They need to they need to do everything they can to keep him. And I'm not saying do what they did with Khalil Tate and hire the guy that Khalil Tate wants or wanted, which was uh, Kevin Sumlin. I'm saying that they need to put him in an offense where he's comfortable, make make him feel like he's at home, so he's not transferring after next year and going on to play for Kevin Sumlin wherever he coaches at. So I think that they need to make him make him feel like he's at home and make him feel like he is capable of doing something going forward, which is going for the NFL, which I think that is his potential. Um, yeah. And I will say, even if uh, Canel chooses to walk in the future, that freshman QB they got in there, Plummer, that's a tough son of a gun, man. He took a lot of hits this year, um, particularly in that UCLA game. I mean, time after time after time, and he stood in that pocket with poise. Um, so for that alone, I, I, I like that kid. I, I like him too, but there's, there's a side of me that sees the same thing that I see in Taysom Hill, which is a little bit of liability when it comes to throwing the football. He can run, he can get hit, he can go, fall down and get back up, no problem. I see a little bit of a liability when it comes to him throwing the football, and I, I don't see that in Grant at all, which is why uh, they need to keep him. They need to keep him. So, Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so let's move on to uh, USC football. They play Oregon this Friday, and uh, USC has been very, very dominant this year. They have not gotten any respect this year uh, in None. the college football playoff rankings. Uh, they should definitely be in the top ten. Uh, pretty disrespectful that they're not even up there. And we have There's like a bunch of teams, mid-major teams, two lost SEC teams ahead of them. Uh, Taylor, what do you think – that USC needs to do to not only win the Pac-12 championship, but to move up in the college football playoff rankings and potentially crack the top five and try to get into that top four by the end of this weekend. Yeah, I think um, in terms of this weekend, um, you know, as cliche as it sounds, they need to play Trojan football. You know, if they play Trojan football the way that they know how to execute on offense, you know, there's, there's so much talent. It's almost like, you know, take your huge, close your eyes, toss the ball up and, uh, they're going to go ahead and uh, snag out there. We got Tyler Vaughn's out there. We got Amara. Um, we've got um, Drake London. And all of these guys are NFL talent, literally in every single slot. And it's like a lot of the teams in college football, you'll be lucky if you have one guy who's NFL caliber, right? But we have them in every single position. Uh, defensively, uh, we've been pretty solid. We just need to be consistent um, with, our, with our run defense um, and our read option defense. Uh, but I think as long as we do that, we should be in a good position um, Friday. And then in regards to making and cracking into that top four, that, that's going to be tough. Um, that's going to be tough. Um, and I think that's going to be tough for many reasons. One, I don't think the Pac-12 just with, you know, they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot with when we started the season. It's tough, even though Ohio State has the same amount of games. You look at Ohio State and, and, and the conference they're in versus the Pac-12, and that gives them more respect, right? So I think that that's um, it might be tough to crack that top four. I don't know if USC has a resume this year, um, especially not having played, you know, a lot of close games, a lot of games won at the last minute. UCLA, for example, they beat a not very good Bruin team um, last weekend. Arizona was a three-point game, I believe. So um, I don't know if we have the, the resume this year to crack the top four, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, SC was in a tough spot where they basically had to win – every game by 20, 30 points, you know, they had to blow out every team in the Pac-12. And you know, they weren't facing any really ranked opponents. Um, and so that 
and then then they have to win the Pac-12 tourney and then get lucky with other other um or Pac-12 title and get lucky with other teams falling. So yeah, USC was in a tough, really tough position um, to make it in the top four this year. But um, you know, being five and zero, they're they're getting the job done. They although definitely sketchy. That ASU game was insane. First game of the year for them. U of A was you know close too. It was a couple inches away from U of A defender picking the ball off uh, and turning that turning that game around. So um, but yeah, I. I think that SC could definitely get the job done against Washington. Or, I mean, it was supposed to be Washington, excuse me. Then it got moved to Oregon. Uh, so that was a whole crazy, another example of 2020. Um, so I, I do like that Oregon matchup. Unfortunately, Oregon blew it earlier in the year. They were, they were ranked 11, and they lost to Oregon State, I believe, the Beavers. And yeah, they kind of blew that, the hopes for the Pac-12 there. Uh, USC has got the job done, though, 5-0. and And we'll see right, right into this Pac-12 title. And I'll tell you another little caveat I think is um, definitely didn't bode well for SC this week. Uh, SC Athletics Director Mike Bone came out with some comments that were not very liked among SC fans. Um, he's from the state of Ohio. Um, he, was, he did this in response to being asked why Ohio State is being included in the top four and not SC. And he said, and I quote, obviously I think their brand and their recent performance certainly helps them immensely. Coming to SC after spending six years in the state of Ohio and at the University of Cincinnati, I get a good sense of what the proudness is and the ways they have accomplished so many different things. My hat's off to them. I've competed against them um, in numerous institutions, and I understand what they bring to the table. I think that's why Friday is a big opportunity for us. I really do. When you start comparing some of the different power indexes and so forth, we still that shakes out, but our focus is on Friday. Um, and so that kind of drew up some air from, from SC fans. They didn't think he was supporting and advocating strong enough on behalf of USC, um, namely uh, USC great receiver Keyshawn Johnson. And he, um, he kind of, he ripped, he ripped the, the athletic director. He said, you got this dude come in, um, our athletic director from Cincinnati. He doesn't even understand what it's like to be a Trojan. Like, why would you even say something like that? Ohio State ain't no bigger than USC. We on the same level, if not better. Where is his mindset at? Like you're supposed to be saying, we need to be in the same damn conversation. We're both 5-0. and We're both playing in championship games. And I, and I think that Johnson really, he hit it right on the head um, in terms of, you know, what we need from an athletic director. I have no idea where Mike Bones' head was at when he made those comments. But regardless of that, I, I don't think, um, from an unbiased perspective, the SE has a resume this year to be in the top four. Um, but I hopefully we'll be in, in, a, in a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. I, I think, personally, the most intriguing part about this USC team is it's not their actual team this year. It's the head coaching situation. You have Clay Helton in as the USC head coach, who's – basically overachieved like how many seasons now has he had his job called for it's got it's got to be at least three yeah i believe it's three yeah so the last three seasons usc usc fans have been shopping at his head for uh for clay helton to get fired i mean i don't necessarily agree or disagree with that i think clay helton's a good head coach he's a quality head coach like he's proved that over the years he's rebuilt USC. I mean, USC. When's the last time they've had an undefeated season? In a minute. Yeah. It's been it's been a while. So, for him to come in with all of this scrutiny and do what he's still able to do, which is, you know, produce quality four-star, five-star recruits, um, produce a, a solid US, like a solid football team in the Pac-12, and like be in the championship game again for the first time since they had Sam Darnold. Uh, in there I mean it's been a few years so for him to come in and do what he's normally like like 
what USC is normally able to do within a few years says something. But my thing is, USC is kind of looking, you know, like it's it's like when you're dating a girl, like you're you have you have a really really good really really good girl at, at your side, right? I mean, and then you're looking around at other girls who are like you know all around the country, like USC is looking at Urban Meyer, looking at other head coaches around the country, USC doing stuff that Urban Meyer wants them to do within the athletic association. And, uh, you know, urban skin looks, urban skin looks from USC, from Texas. Uh, what does USC need to do to back off of the Clay Helton scrutiny and become the USC that they've always identified themselves to be? Because I feel like USC is winning, but they're not winning as themselves. So what that USC USC needs to look and not touch. That's 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 what I would say. I think <laughs> that um, you know, in reference to your your scenario there, um, I I don't think that right now is the time to make a coaching change per se. I mean, you have a coach, even though it's a short season. Um, I, I think that with the undefeated record, there's definitely even though there's close games and games that you know one one big critique about SC football is that they played down to their competition, right? You know, you take the Arizona game, you take the UCLA game. They're playing down, you know, the Arizona game. I mean, Arizona, like we just talked about, hasn't won in 12 games, right? And it's like they only beat them by three points. So that's been a critique of the Trojan program for a long time. I don't think it's fair to put that all on Helton's shoulders. Um, I think a lot of, a little bit of that has to do with the play from the quarterback, the sophomore quarterback from Arizona, Tim Silvis, um, who's a Scottsdale product. Um, he's had a little bit of throwing issues with his throwing mechanics this year. Um, I know there's been some things they try to correct, but you really never know what you're going to get out of him. Um, so with that inconsistency at such an important position, I think that that definitely um, has played a role. Yeah, I think if you look at, um, I love that you brought up this uh, quotes about um, Keyshawn Johnson and everything too. Um, but I think, it, it, almost, it says a lot about the Pac-12 this year and, and over the last couple of years because you have Ohio State, you know, they're 5-0, and USC 5-0. and um, And it seems like Ohio State's almost getting in because of the conference. Uh, and the Pac-12 is kind of looking at the power. It's almost getting down to the power four, it seems like, in the last couple of years with the way that Pac-12 performed. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's just a bummer on, you know, it's a reflection on what the Pac-12 is viewed at over you know with these AP rankings these college rankings but I definitely like looking at the rankings with SC at 13 um it's I, I don't see it's crazy because um I see them better than Coastal Carolina Indiana I mean Oklahoma's they're seven and two they but they've had a couple of questionable those two losses were, were, were brutal Cincinnati Cincinnati's eight and no I don't know I saw a couple people on ESPN that had them in that five ranking but I don't, I don't really see – I don't know too much from Cincinnati to see them at the five to the eight spot. So I could see – I could see SC at the nine spot, um, you know, being at five and oh. But um, – and it is tricky. It's just such a wacky year with everything, um, especially, you know, with Florida blowing that crazy game against LSU. Um, and so we thought maybe Florida could sneak in at four. Um, I mean, even Notre Dame, they're 10 and oh, but they, they beat uh, Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. So – for me right now, Alabama just looks like the clear, clear cut, um, top of the line product right now. But, um, you know, I, it is a bummer to see SC, you know, at 13 right now. Shout out to uh, Florida's cornerback for tossing his opponents to 20 yards and costing them the game. Yeah, was, <laughs> He's probably going to be seeing a little bit of bench time after that one. Yeah, yeah that was such a good play. Yeah. They had a stop on a, 
yeah, it was supposed to be a three and out. And then um, that was like a 15-yard conduct uh, penalty or however you call it. And um, they got the first down and they went down the field and got the field goal. So tough one. Yeah. So should we roll in a little predictions with the SC Oregon Pac-12? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, let's get it going. Uh, USC is favored, I think, by three points in that game. And, uh, you know, Oregon has had a pretty, pretty rough year for uh, a five-game slate. They lost to their rival, Oregon State, and they lost to Cal. I think Cal was supposed to be a good team this year. Um, I still think they will be next year in a normal season, but that's just me. I think uh, those two losses right there uh, costed them a spot originally in the Pac-12 team before uh, – um, Washington backed out due to COVID, but I think uh, Oregon's had a rough year. I think they're looking to prove something. I'm going to take Oregon to cover the spread. I'm not going to take them to win, but I think USC wins, uh, I think 21 to, yeah, I'm going to say 21 to 20. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think USC wins uh, with a touchdown at the end of the game. And uh, yeah, I like I like that take. I take SC two. I like their chances. Um, I'm going 35-28 uh, USC uh, favor. Okay. Yeah, I think I would take. I'm I'm rolling with SC two. Um, let's see. I think that around that 30. Yeah, I, I like him. I think SC will get to 30. Um, we'll go. We'll go 35. We'll go 35-21 SC. All right, it's unanimous. <laughs> and we got we got all USC here, so uh, put your money on Oregon. All right, next topic. We got uh, Lakers, Lakers talk. Uh, Both Lakers. As you know, uh, defending champs, Los Angeles Lakers, are uh, going to be starting their 2020-2021 NBA season coming up here uh, in just a short few days. Uh, you got to get it right. We got defending world champion Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. defending there world champion there. LA. Put some respect on Lakers. the name. We have a big, big opening night. Uh, Steph returns. Uh, no, KD faces his former team. Uh, goal, we have Golden State and uh, Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn's going to be the hot team coming in uh, this year because they have a both a healthy Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Uh, along with a healthy Steph Curry for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Banged up Clay Clay Thompson. He is out for the year again. Uh, Really, really awful to see. But they filled a big hole this year. They have Andrew Wiggins playing the two, Kelly Oubre playing the three, uh, Phoenix favorite, by the way, uh, Draymond, and they have their number two overall pick, James Wiseman, uh, in there. And then, you know, the Nets are a little bit – they're still going to try to – find their identity I think at the beginning of the season I think they'll be uh they have Kyrie and then Spencer Didwitty uh KD Joe Harris and then DeAndre Jordan you know Jared Allen he was the franchise guy for a little bit uh at the center position but who knows now DeAndre is uh you know DeAndre's starting so we'll see what happens there um oh yeah we can't forget about our Lakers opening night and uh playing the JV team uh, no big deal. And the uh, LA Clippers on opening night with uh, the, the Lakers getting their their uh, ceremony uh, ceremony rings. You know, they'll have a little virtual ceremony with all the staff and former players and stuff like that. 
um, in attendance, getting their rings and stuff like that. So uh, that's going to be that's going to be something we're going to be looking forward to. And then Twitter's we're going to be clowning everyone, all the Clipper fans on Twitter for you. So I, I get off. Always. I get off that. All night. the slander, all the smoke, all, <laughs> all night long. So um, you know we have a big big season coming up. I think was it sixty six or seventy two games for uh, this right. upcoming season. Seventy two. Like <laughs> yeah, so we, we get we'll see. Yeah, that's yeah, true. as many games as uh, the NBA can offer this year, but uh um yeah. Taylor, what do you think about this Lakers team and do you think they, they could repeat this year as NBA champs? Ooh. Man, I, I like it. I think they did some much needed upgrades in the off season, uh, with the additions of, you know, Schroeder, I think him coming in, um, that provides um some much needed spark. I think that that Gasol coming in too. I'm I'm a little still scarred by the, the number he's choosing to wear, 14 this year. That's that's giving me PTSD from from Danny Green's performances in the bubble. So that's that's rough to see. But um no, I, I love I love the team. I love the additions. Um and obviously with LeBron and AD uh, affirming their commitment to the team, signing those contracts in the offseason, I think that puts them in a good position this year. Um so hopefully we'll go and double back um and, and get it done. Yeah, speaking of Gasol, did you hear that Pau Gasol, his dream, his dream, he's trying to make an NBA comeback, and his dream spot is Lakers too. So that would be that would be insane. That happens. It'd be crazy. Have two brothers ever played on a team, the same team in the NBA? I'm not sure. And they're about I, to be well, yeah. Angelo and Lamelo, bro. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> they're about to be. Just no. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, on the real, I think uh, Steph and Steph played on the Warriors. Um, back in the day oh. before Steve Kerr came. So that was the two brother pairings that we had. Uh, Maybe the holidays? Lopez brother? Did, yeah, uh, Drew. Yeah, that. and then Anthony the Cooper brothers too. I mean, we got oh. a ton. We got a ton. So, yeah. Yeah, Costas uh, showing his uh, NBA ring. He has more than Flexing in front of Giannis. <laughs> That's, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Man. Um, who would have thought Giannis would be – he might be the last person to get a ring in that family. Maybe. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. He signed that Supermax, yeah? Yeah, yeah it was a $228 five-year deal, Giannis. $228, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Yeah, he's locked in there. So, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, so – um. Yeah, so I think we need to see um, we need to see a lot out of Montrez this year because I think this is his year to prove that he still has it. I mean, he he got snubbed by the Clippers. I, I he wasn't feeling too great about uh, Paul George getting the star power. Uh, well, not the well deserved. I would never say that, but um, the well treated um, treatment that he got there at uh, at the Clippers facility. I think he um, was. He was a little taken back by Kawhi and Paul George getting uh, some of the treatment that they did. Uh, Kawhi was li- Kawhi's living in San Diego right now, as you guys know. Um, and how do I know that? I saw him at the Delmar uh, Delmar tracks last year uh, for opening day. So it was like right before. It was like three days before he signed uh, for free agency. So that was like the most anticipated signing last year. But I knew I knew he was li- he was still in San Diego. Um, but he, I mean, he was late for team flights. He was late to practice. He was late to film and all that. I mean, he got a pass for all of it because uh, Steve Ballmer Steve let him. No he was way. commuting. So on. Wow. You heard, you heard it here first. 
here. Folks, if you don't know, for those tuning in that aren't in Southern California, we have this lovely thing called traffic. And so that came even from the area that the JP is referencing to the practice facilities for the Clippers. It's probably with traffic a good three to three and a half hours. So that's, that's, a, that's a supplement there. And the best, the best service the Clippers could do is move the whole facility to San Diego so that he could, uh, <laughs> he can go down and uh, get out uh, of here. <laughs> yeah, play. Have the Clippers come to San Diego. I would I, I, one thousand percent be a fan if they were in San Diego, but that's not the case. I'm a Laker fan, so uh, let's get that out of the way. Um, but Clipper Corey know, would the, never the, let that happen. <laughs> but the thing about the Clippers is, yes, he wouldn't. But the the thing about the Clippers is they felt so entitled last year. It was like almost a lock they felt like that they were going to win the championship. And, you know, that got – that turned everyone the wrong way, especially the Denver Nuggets, who uh, – shout out to the Nuggets for keeping the Clippers out of the Western Conference Finals again for the 50th, 50th straight year, uh, <laughs> let's say. But, you know, the the Clippers had this entitled – culture where you know they thought everything was going to be handed to them because of the guys in their lineup right you know I love Kawhi Kawhi was one of my favorite players growing up like he was I saw him at San Diego State the uh, things he did for that program and uh, you know the fun guy culture that he brought to to that program and you know he took the Aztecs to a sweet 16 which I never thought would be uh, possible in my lifetime so um, I loved what he did down there uh, at, at the VA at the VA Haas Arena, um, I like what he did with San Antonio. One Finals MVP, one uh, Finals MVP with the Raptors. Then came to LA and acted like he was the most entitled person in the world. And like this was the first time we've ever seen Kawhi with expectations. Don't get me wrong, he didn't have that expectation going in, going into Toronto where he had. Uh, really nothing to lose because everyone was already dogging him for wanting a trade anyways. So when he gets to L.A., the Clippers make this unbelievable run in the first round, pushing the superstar Golden State Warriors to six games with KD. When all they had was Lou and Montrez. You know, Lou and Montrez were playing 38 minutes off the bench every game, basically starters, but that's none of my business. Um, they had one of the most deepest they, – they had some of the deepest – players and last year I mean they, they had some of the deepest uh you know rotations in the NBA I think it was some something that we loved um as fans to see but we also loved to see them fail because of how much they talked all this garbage last year uh opening night all over the Lakers Christmas day all over the Lakers super quiet after the the one game the Lakers won before the before the bubble Lakers won the bubble. Oh, no big deal. Clippers are getting adjusted and all that. Yada, yada, yada. All I heard was excuses last year. I think everyone's selling their stock this year in the Lakers, or on the Clippers, rather, because of how much they talked last year. Nobody's talking on that team this year. So as a neutral, like if you're a neutral fan, neutral NBA fan, and you see all that Clippers stock going out the window, you, you better get some right now because – they're going to be just as good. They're going to learn from last year, and everyone's going to be kind of off of them this year. And they could be, you know, a big threat to go to the Western Conference Finals. But I still don't see them being better than the Lakers. That's how much I, I'm confident. I'm I'm confident in uh, the purple and gold. So. Yeah. 
Well, I must have, I have to say though, that, you know, right now the Lakers are 2-0 in the preseason. Uh, they were going to play the Suns in a couple minutes here um, out in Phoenix. But um, so it, it was brutal though, as watching that game as a Clippers fan, you know, even as a basketball fan, if you're watching the Clippers did, I really hope that Kawhi and Paul George are playing at like 50% because they, they just didn't look, they didn't look themselves um, that Clippers depth that we, that we've talked about all last year. It just, and even the year before too, it didn't, it just didn't seem like it was there. Um, and so it did worry me a little bit. And um, Montrez Harrell looked, he looked awesome with, with the Lakers there. Um, and they were basically, Lakers were playing their second and third lineups against the Clippers first lineup. Um, and so, I mean, and uh, uh, Taylor uh, Horton Tucker popped off for 31 points uh, on Sunday, this, this past Sunday, beating the Clippers, I think 130 to, they put up 130 on the Clippers first unit, um, you know, full rotation basically. So I'm, them. I'm hoping the I'm hoping the Clippers, just for their sake for this opening night, with they're gonna have to face LeBron, AD. Uh, I mean, there there was they played a couple of different variations, um, but you know, at some point there was no Gasol, there was no Morris, there was no KCP. Caruso hasn't played yet. Um, well, uh, Wes Matthews, Schroeder. Um, so all, all these guys weren't playing and they, they went up 2-0 against the uh, Clippers. So this opening night, December 22nd, is going to be very interesting. Um, I do like the Ibaka signing. I like bringing Kawhi and Ibaka back. But it just, it, it, I don't know, what I saw, it, 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 I guess, you know, granted, it is preseason games. If the Clippers would have blown out the Lakers, I wouldn't have been that excited. But this, this does worry me. I am worried just by the effort that I saw the way that the Lakers just look like a cohesive unit. The chemistry is a big issue for Clippers, as we know. Um, and I, I, I got to say, I'm a little bit worried. Um, but we'll see. Hopefully Kawhi. We also, I don't know. It seems like Kawhi probably won't be playing back-to-backs again this year. I don't know about Paul George. We'll see, hopefully Paul George can play back-to-backs this year. But, yeah, man, this is a tough one for, for um, Clippers to see. I don't know. I'm already worried. <laughs> you seem worried. You look worried. You shake out your boots there, huh? I know. <laughs> what is it like to be a Clippers fan and the great yeah. Laker nation, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, what do you think? What do you think about the Clippers? You know, I, I think that they're a solid team. I think letting Doc Rivers go was probably a good choice. Um, I think that they had – it, it was almost weird. It was almost like there was a different team um, chemistry-wise in the bubble than they were throughout the season. Um, I know I – think, I think a couple of players commented on it. Uh, Patrick Beverly, I think, commented on it. I think PG commented on it, too. Um, so it would be interesting to see, like, the energy they come with um, this year and how they, they're really acting um, and to see if they have cohesion um, when they play this year. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think letting Montrez Harrell – Although the weird thing about Harrell was that he kind of got, he did get cooked by Jokic and uh, against in Denver. So that was, that was kind of fun to see, but, um, but I mean, it was, the bubble was weird. Like uh, Harrell, Montrez lost his grandma and, you know, during the, during this pandemic, during the bubble, going back and I think he was a month or two late to this bubble. Um, and so I think I, I, you know, I think you can credit that poor performance to, to you know, just the craziness of the bubble. I mean, even LeBron. Uh, Lou Will. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Lou Will throwing the oh, yeah. one. Huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lou Will. Yeah, oh yeah, Lou Will with the whole uh, 
Atlanta, Atlanta hot, or what was it? Hot Wings, Magic City. Yeah, the, the Hot Wings. <laughs> the man, the man of the people. Sweet lemon pepper Lou. Lou. I think he, <laughs> I think he I think he made a shirt lemon pepper Lou, um, which I got I got to find out and see if I can get get one of those. But um, yeah, but so I mean, but everyone was in the same situations. You know, the Lakers. LeBron talked about this with Richard Jefferson on a on a podcast that he said like the bubble podcast. Um, they were he, LeBron said he felt like he was sometimes he was in the bubble. He felt like he was in the um, I think it was The Shining or something like the walls were closing in. Like he he was I mean even LeBron you know um, was was messed up by this in some way or shape or form. So yeah, the bubble is brutal. This you know we're 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 some back to somewhat normalcy with being, you know, in the home arenas again. Um, but, you know, travel, having to travel to games. But, and th- this is a definitely a big year for Ty Lue, uh, for Kawhi to bounce back for, I mean, I think Paul George is, has the most pressure, I think, out of all those people. Um, and, you know, and a Doc Rivers is kind of sitting pretty over with the Sixers, a great roster. I, I don't think Doc has that much pressure, really. I mean, he, he got fired, you know, just with one year to work with these guys. And now he's with the Sixers team, back to the East Coast, back to the Eastern Eastern Conference. Um, so, Paul George, though, spotlight is all on uh, uh, PG thirteen percent off of the side of the backboard. PG thirteen percent. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, Corey. You speak of the uh, you speak of the bubble effect, uh, if you will, on different teams. And I think one thing that's going to be really interesting this year is. Um, you know, how teams will navigate through playing and traveling, not being in a bubble environment, right? We see the effect that it's having on different sports. And so obviously the NBA had a remarkable, remarkable achievement um, in the bubble testing, you know, completing the, the three-month stay there with zero positive tests. Yeah. Um, I think Adam Silver has already acknowledged that there will be positive tests this year. But, you know, we, we see the effects that players choosing not to follow protocol can, can have on a team, uh, namely the Denver Broncos, who started a a practice squad wide receiver in the starting quarterback position who went one for nine. Again, again, one for nine in NFL games with yeah. zero pass completed in the first half and I think 27 yards overall in the day. We, we see the effect, right? And so it's like that has such a profound effect on a football team. You know, it's hard to imagine what kind of effect that would have on a basketball team, a team that's playing not once, but three to maybe four times in a week, right? If you have four or five players out, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how that's navigated. Uh, but I think that players and organizations, staff, everyone included um, in the travel parties and, and just in the day-to-day operations for the team, how well they hear those pauses, I think, will be instrumental in uh, team's ability to be successful um, or, or lack thereof. Yeah, yeah, great point. Yeah, I mean, it's the bubble was nice. It was super great to see, um, you know, having having everyone in one spot and, you know, having sports back for us to watch, honestly, that was awesome. But, I mean, overall, with the overall testing, I mean, we've seen the same results as we did in the bubble. Like, the, there was, I think the last time around, there was two, uh, two positive tests out of all the NBA teams uh, in the bubble. But, and that, I, I think that was Harden and Westbrook, too, to be quite honest. Harden was out partying and, uh, you know, at ASU, I think, before um, coming back and testing positive. And then meanwhile, Westbrook had the same thing too. Westbrook was, I think, was with them too. But um, those were only the two positive tests. And this time around, when they had testing today, actually, or uh, this week, uh, there was only two positive tests out of the 508 that they actually, that they actually tested. So I think 
that just says a testament for how disciplined some of these players are. And for football teams, it's it, it, it can get wacky at times because there's a lot more a lot more players and a lot more movement and a lot more physical movement and sweat that you're gonna have to deal with in the locker room and during games and all of that. So I think uh, it's just the complexity of the sport, but I think I like what the NBA is doing regardless. Uh, the, the the bubble took a mental toll on some of the players, and that's why LeBron was saying that this was uh, this past season was one of the hardest championships that they've ever had to deal with, uh, or that he's ever had to deal with in, in his career. So I think for that matter, he is. Uh, I mean, he's looking. I mean, he's looking good though. He's looking good so far. Um, going through practices and everything. He's healthy. AD's healthy. Uh, I mean, they're going to get started real soon here. And I mean, they're not going to be in a bubble, which is nice. So I think LeBron's going to be able to play like himself and, uh, you know, be the guy that we're going to see this upcoming year, which is MVP LeBron. And I thought he should have been last year. But, yeah. Yeah, right now, I was looking at the score. Uh, Suns are up 23-13. The AD's got six right now. Kuzma's got six. LeBron's got a point. Um, yeah, they got, it looks like they got the full lineup going. And Wes Matthews, Harrell. So, I mean, they're Schroeder's played. So, it's going to be – they're going to be a stacked team. So, and, uh, I mean, this is a fun game, too, just with Chris Paul, the new look Suns. Uh, so, it's going to be this, – this NBA season is going to be fun. KD, it was weird to see KD, um, you know, with those high – the preseason highlights. The KD-Kyrie connection is going to be interesting to develop to see um, LaMelo Ball. There's a lot of Harden with this whole, is he getting chipped off to a different team? Who knows? Um, is he getting traded, whatever? But it's going to be a fun, fun year for sure. Dare I ask who the real Melo is? Ooh. <laughs> I, we got to go. <laughs> Think about what year you're born. If you're born, if you're born uh, early or late 90s, early 2000s, it's got to be Carmelo. But any, any kids born after like 2010 will be, will say Melo. <laughs> Yeah, any kids born in the yeah. mumble rap era will say uh, Lamelo uh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but I mean that's all we got. So I mean, uh, Taylor, thank you so much uh, for tuning uh, tuning in, uh, bringing some real live, uh, authentic content to the show. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll get back to the podcast shortly. But thank you guys so much. Um, for tuning into this segment. Uh, stay tuned. We have more coming up real soon. So. And we are back here uh, on the dagger. Uh, I know you guys had a great time listening to that interview. Uh, more of a discussion, roundtable discussion, for that matter, t- took us back to our college days. But uh, here we are, back on uh, back on the pod, going over our dagger segments for right now. Um, so, Corey, let's get started with the dagger or no dagger. So, I'll start with you. Um, dagger or no dagger, uh, if the Washington football team wins this weekend, it's basically a done deal that the NFC East is uh, – um, taken for a division dagger or no dagger oh okay okay so yeah i mean washington is facing um uh, seattle coming off of a pretty 
pretty dominant or big, you know, another big win against the Niners last week. So um, it's, it's a big time for, you know, Washington is, is they're, they're firing right now. That defense is going off. Alex Smith though, did exit the game uh, uh, on soreness on his surgically repaired leg. So losing that veteran poise is kind of a tricky one, but that defense is stacked. Um, and so um, Dwayne Haskins will have to see who's starting for next week, but the Giants took care of Seattle. I think the Redskins, or excuse me, the Washington football team can, I think they can, as crazy as it sounds, I think they can take care of uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Um, and what a, what a crazy turnaround for them. Um, but, you know, I think this is still going to come down to, like, to the very last week. So I, I'll say no dagger on this because I think the Giants can pull out a couple other games. Giants have that 2-0 um, head-to-head matchup. So I think this is going to come down to the very wire. Um, where we'll see where the Giants end up. We'll see where the Washington football team ends up. So it's going to come down to week seven, week 17, I think. Yeah. And uh, that will be, that will be very, very tough. Um, if the, if Washington lose, or Washington, Washington wins for that matter and Giants lose, that'll be very tough for the Giants. And that will be basically saying that the divisions, divisions, uh, a wrap at that point. But, uh, you know, the head ahead is still into play. The Giants still have a uh, um, Giants still have a 2-0 head-to-head advantage against Washington this year, surprisingly. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to say Dagger as well. Uh, if Washington wins, that will be their fifth straight win. That, it's not going to look good for the Giants. So, And yeah. they might finish 9-7, so who knows. But uh, I really like their chances at the, at the division. Yeah, I think, oh. you know, with being so tight in this division race, you know, all three games matter. But I think this this week particularly is probably the most important, yeah, because like you were saying, Washington wins, Giants lose, boom, then it's, you know, it's it's uphill battle even more than it already is for the Giants. So, yeah, it's a big time. You know, both teams lose, you know, we'll see. It's, it's going on to that next week. But, yeah, so I think the Giants definitely need to get a win and uh, need Washington to lose. Um so speaking of, speaking of division races, let's go to Colts in Tennessee. Um, do you think that the Colts can um, – right now Colts are 1-1 one one against Tennessee. They're both 9-4. Do you think that uh, – I'll go through the record, or their schedule. Oh. Are you there? Yeah. Shoot, I don't know why that happened. Sorry, my, I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I lost my Zoom there. Um, okay, so – uh, Colts, uh, they face Houston, Pittsburgh, and Jacksonville. And the Lions face – or Tennessee face Lions, Packers, and Houston. So do you think the Colts can pull off this division win? I'm going to say no dagger on this. And you scared me for a moment. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Connection <laughs> failure. On, who knows? But I think we're – we're a okay, But, <laughs> um, no, I'm going to say no dagger. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that because uh, – you know, Philip Rivers is going to be playing some very, very tough opponents uh, throughout December, and Tennessee is going to be right there with them. And Philip Rivers does well in December. Uh, usually, uh, Tennessee is on a hot streak right now. Derrick Henry is getting MVP consideration. Uh, he might crack 2,000 yards by the by the end of the year. Um, but the Titans are. Uh, they're going to be playing some tough teams and I think they'll pull off those wins. And I think their ceiling right now is higher 
but do not sleep on the Colts. Do do not sleep on my guy Phil Rivers. And uh, you know he's a he's a gamer. He's a baller, uh, just like Skip Bayless said about Tim Tebow uh, that one year where he won the division. But uh, yeah, don't do not sleep on my guy Philip Rivers. He is going to make a big playoff run. If anyone's going to beat the Chiefs, it's going to be the Colts, and I guarantee that wholeheartedly I don't think any other team in the AFC is going to have a chance against uh Patty Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs um besides Philip Rivers he is he is uh he is the man definitely so yeah I'm I'm rooting for him I feel like a lot of guys are especially the you know the San Diego or the San Diego Los Angeles Chargers fan base I think they're rooting for Philip Rivers and, and you know the AFC South it's a tight race the fun one you met. You bring up Derrick Henry, but also Jonathan Taylor had a. He popped off for like over 120 yards, two touchdowns last week, um, and so they have a nice little running back dynamic duo going on in Indy, and you know, yeah, Tennessee. You know, it's. I'd, I'd also love to see them in the playoffs as well, but I think right now I'm rooting for Philip Rivers to get make it in there. Big time. Yeah. Um, dagger or no dagger. Um, let's see. Uh, James Harden will be traded uh, before uh, the end of this season, this NBA season coming up. Ooh. Dagger or nagger, and dagger or no dagger. Excuse me. So the, yeah, this is this is a tricky one. So we had Harden showed up late to Houston's preseason uh, um, camp. Uh, he did play tonight, um, so that that was you know promising if you're a Houston Rockets fan. Uh, there was a weird thing with I don't know if you saw on social media. It looked like he gained like 50 pounds over overnight uh, on social media. I don't know if you saw it. He had a bad ankle. Yeah. Photo. And so everyone's like, whoa, what, what happened to James Harden? Uh, but yeah, so that was weird. Um, he, was see, he was seen on video partying with a little baby um, at a strip club. So and throwing money in the middle of a pandemic. So that was kind of concerning if you're, if you're a Rockets fan. So I think that this is going to be a drama-filled season. And I think dramas lead to trades usually. So um, I'm going to go dagger on this one. You know, Harden has voiced his opinion on this. This is, you know, kind of a thing we're seeing a lot more frequently is players are saying, no, I want out of here. I want to go. And it, it's happening more. So I think that um, the Rockets have looked around. I think that they most recently talked to Philadelphia and they, uh, Philadelphia wanted, um, or Houston wanted, uh, ben Simmons and a couple draft picks, first round draft picks um, for James Harden. So it's a high price. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough one. Teams are going to have to move a lot of people just to get James Harden um, to make that trade work. But I think it will happen. So just because of, you know, things are happening in the season's a weird season. There's already been some drama before season starts. I think it'll happen. But side note, John Wall and Boogie Cousins, they, they look like they've been a nice little duo so far, uh, it's nice to see John Wall back after basically two years of being out. Uh, I wish James Harden would kind of stick around and make this work. But, you know, we also have to talk about James Harden might sort of be the problem. He's played with amazing players. He's played with Russell Westbrook. Now he's paired up with John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, he's played with Dwight Howard. He's played with um, Kevin Durant. Uh, who else? Um, Steven Adams. You can even talk about Steven Adams. Um, over in OKC so Harden's played with a lot of great players um and it hasn't panned out for him so maybe I have to start thinking about is Harden the problem so 
but I, I'll go say to answer your question, Dagger, Harden will be traded throughout this, at some point this season. Yeah, I mean, Harden is an ASU guy. Uh, we know, we all know he likes to party, but um, <laughs> he, uh, there was reports and stuff saying that he was like flying to Vegas and uh, Atlanta to go party, but he he claims he wasn't. He was training with his trainers there, and uh, you know, just felt like missing the first part of the season to go do that. But um, yeah, Harden is uh, Harden's. I think he's done being a, being an alpha. Uh, I think he wants to be a second second string guy, not really a leader, uh, more of a more of a um, side piece than anything. Uh, as ironic as that sounds, but yeah, he uh, he he um, he just needs to like find his identity and get out of Houston. I think that's what's best for him right now. Um, He's, they're stuck in this relationship where they basically changed everything around him. And it's an environment right now that he doesn't want to be in. Uh, Daryl Morey's gone, um, former Rockets GM. Uh, Mike D'Antoni's gone. He wants to go to, to both the places where, where they're at right now. So you could tell he's not happy with the, high, uh, with the, with the hirings so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think that I, I think he needs to get out of there and uh, start over, whether it's I, for, for a contender, not for a contender. But he just needs to he needs to get out of there and uh, start over because yeah, he's I not going to win. He's not going to win a ring as an alpha. That's for sure. Yeah, it's crazy that all these players are, you know, like LeBron was dominating the East. Everyone was, you know, thriving in the West. And now LeBron's in the West and everyone's going back to the East. So. Uh, yeah. I feel like I could feel like I see I could see James Harden going somewhere in the Eastern Conference, um, and you know the, if it's the, if the price is right, if the players are right, then I think it could happen. So it's going to be probably one of the definitely top five developments we see throughout the season. Definitely. Um, okay, so we'll stick it, sticking with players um, and trades. Um, so Giannis just signed a two hundred twenty eight million dollar uh, supermax deal. Um, over the past couple of days, news broke out about that. There was some rumors he might go to Miami. He might go. I mean, where, where else was he thinking he's? Uh, yeah, Miami, Golden State, um, like the Knicks, obviously, because when is anyone not going to the Knicks? Um, yeah, just any big market team, basically. Uh, yeah, Lakers, Clippers, whatever you got a name. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Giannis, yeah, it's a five-year deal. I think I believe there was a fourth-year option to opt in or opt out on that contract for the fifth year. Um, so, do you think that? I, th- I think a lot of this depends on where the Bucks get to. You know, they've had trouble with the, even in the Eastern Conference too, as well. Um, this year, getting bounced before the Eastern Eastern Conference Finals. So, um, do you think that? Giannis will end up either requesting a trade or opting out of the contract with, you know, looking to that five-year window uh, if they don't perform well. Um, I don't think so. I think uh, I'm going to go no dagger on this. I don't think so. I think he, uh, I think he's there to stay. Um, He wanted to prove a point with Milwaukee that they were willing to listen to him and uh, build around him and uh, give him the right guys to, make a championship happen uh he's looking for his first one obviously it hasn't happened yet but 
Yeah, he'll get there. He will get there. But it's just a matter of time of whether that happens or not. Um, but he he needs to be he needs to be on top of his game this year because uh, you know the bag is nothing without a championship and yeah you know some guys have learned it the easy way some guys have learned it the hard way uh, Charles Barkley for example um, yeah no rings in his career um, Vince Carter for example no rings in his career T Mac uh, went to the finals one year with the Spurs when he was washed, but that doesn't doesn't even count. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's just tough right now. I mean Steve Nash too, Suns, Lakers, no championships uh, as a player at least. But um, yeah, it's uh, he's gonna have to make that decision down the road and opt out if he wants to. But I don't see him doing that um, like before before his prime. So okay, yeah, I do think that the Bucks will have to get some, another star, maybe even all-star or, or big, big name player to, to kind of support Giannis and, and just make that offense a little bit more dynamic um, and, 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 you know, spread the ball out more around and not just make it Giannis driving everything and, and you know, being asked to even shoot threes and mid range and, and drive into the lane. So um, yeah, that's Shout out to Giannis for getting that 228 million. JP had a nice stat that you talked about. It was like eleven. What was it? Eleven thousand dollars. Like uh, per NBA minute. Per NBA minute, making eleven eleven grand. Uh, that's pretty pretty good life. He's gonna make a nice little life for himself out there in Milwaukee. Yeah, um, not too so, bad. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can't you can't complain. But definitely looking for that ring. So and he has some, one of the craziest stories about how he sent, he sent money back to Greece to his family. Um, and he actually ran out of money to make it to the game. Uh, I think in his rookie year, he had to run to the stadium. He couldn't have, didn't have enough money to make a taxi, to pay for a taxi. Uh, and so he, he is one of those amazing, you know, inter- international come-up stories where um, coming from nothing, and now he's, you know, multi, multi-millionaire, uh, one of the biggest names in the league. So in the world the american dream fellas yeah. the american dream that's yeah. for sure big time yeah um what else i got yeah i got one more for you um then you got one more for me but um let's see the clippers will make the western conference finals this season dagger or no dagger Oh man, this yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, yeah, this is the shadow over the um, the dark cloud over the Clippers organization. Fifty years, no conference finals. Um, yeah, I oh, mean, I just think you know, there's only been two games so far, two preseason games. Uh, a big, this is a big, um, you know, a shortened season. You know, they're gonna have they're gonna have a lot of you know they're gonna have a lot of primetime games, a lot of big games. Um, we don't know about Kawhi. Is he going to be playing back-to-back? What are we going to get out of him? What are we going to get out of Paul George with this pressure put on him? Um, and so I think I'm going to say no dagger on this one. Just from, you know, I expressed in our interview with Taylor, I, I expressed my concern about what the product I saw so far. Um, I, you know, I have the confidence in Ty Lue. I think he can – I think he's the right coach. I think he can get it done. Um, but I just – that depth just doesn't, doesn't look to be there – all that depth is in the Lakers' hands now. 
uh, Clippers losing Harrell. Um, I do like Ibaka. I think Ibaka and Kawhi pair well together, but I just think overall it's not the you know greatest deal. These guys are getting into their pl- ten plus years in the league. Um, yeah, I believe they started Nicholas Batum, who played. Uh, that he averaged four points a game last year. Last year with Charlotte um, for the Hornets. So, and then they started Ibaka at center, uh, Kawhi, Paul George, and then Pat Bev. I I really wish that the Clippers addressed their point guard situation more, a little bit more, getting getting um, an upgrade from Pat Beverly. Um, Lou Will looked off his game in the bubble. So if Lou Will can return um, to it, you know, to, he's not going to have Harold though. He's not going to have his wingman Harold. Uh, so that's a tricky one. I'm going to say no on this one. This is, this is as much as I hate to say it. I think that it, you know, it could be Lakers, Warriors. I don't know about Rockets. I'm not going to say Rockets. No, I say Nuggets can maybe can maybe get back to that. Mavericks. I think Matt maybe Mavericks. It could be a Mavericks Lakers. Um, what else we got? Um, Spurs, not the Spurs. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say no dagger. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say dagger. I think they they get back, um, or I think they get there for the first time. Uh, I don't think Kawhi feels like that again. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that co-ops happens ever again. I think they learned their lesson and really humbled themselves, and uh, they'll be back. I think the Clippers, with the additions of Kennard and. Uh, um, Serge Ibaka, they really set themselves up, and and they have Reggie Jackson back too. But they they set themselves up for trading Pat Bev and Lou Will. I think that's going to happen within the next couple of years, possibly this year even if they were smart. Um, but Lou is declining. Uh, he didn't look at the same in the bubble. Pat Bev really is wishy washy. But mm. I mean, he's not really the leader that the Clippers were expecting. Um, everyone thought he was like the best leader ever um, last year. Clipper fans did at least. I didn't buy that at all. Um, I saw fraudulent stuff with Pat, Pat Bev, especially. I saw fraudulent stuff with Montrez. I still do. I, I didn't like how he, uh, his defense was subpar. He was only 6'8". He's a 6'8 big. LeBron's like 6'9 and can move. Um, but good thing he'll have other bigs on the uh, on the floor with the Lakers. I just don't see um, I just don't see it working out with Pat Bev and Lou Will um, on the Clippers. They need to go get like a guy like Kyle Lowry, for example, um, to make this work. Um, bring back all the all the Raptors to the Clippers, yeah, make that championship run. But um, they need to get guys. Uh, they need to get a point guard that can play. Um, that's what. Um, that's what Kawhi has been successful with. Uh, ask, ask Tony Parker. Um, Manu also, he's been super, really, really good. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. good looks. Um, it's basically, it might turn, have to turn into the Los Angeles Raptors, basically. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so, um, I mean, even a guy like Fred Van Fleet was somebody I thought could, he was a free agent this offseason. Thought maybe the Clippers could bring him in. But yeah, you know, no, no movement there. But you know, speaking of conference finals, I'm gonna go talk about the Nets. You know, they got Kyrie, KD. Um, they they have an uprising, a crew that's uprising, getting better, rising stars. Um, do you think that 
with KD back on the floor, hopefully both KD and Kyrie will be healthy. Do you think that the Nets can make, win the Eastern Conference, get past the Bucks, the Raptors, the um, Celtics, um, who are all getting better as well, and win that Eastern Conference? Um, potentially. I I mean, like I I can see I can see um I can see the Eastern Conference going to either two ways this year. I can see the Nets being uh that powerhouse and having KD run the show, or I can see uh Giannis getting on getting on a revenge tour and uh winning the East. But I think it's gonna come go down to two of those. Uh, two of those possibilities. I really don't see anyone else in the East doing what, uh, uh, making a run at it this year. I think uh, Boston's window, they need to add one more guy. They need to get a little bit more depth. Um, but I do like what they have. I think they have a solid team. Um, Raptors, they need to, they need to really add more guys too. Fred Van Fleet is, is the answer. Um, but they need to they need to add more guys. I think they need to like beef up their uh, depth a little bit. Um, but yeah, I really just see I really just see the the Nets and the Bucks this year. I don't really see the Raptors or um, Celtics going past the uh, Eastern semis. So okay, yeah. So yeah, um, let's see we. We got our dagger five, so let's get into that right now. So where we're at, um, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna do a college football uh, dagger five, uh, all the Power Five okay. conference championships. So uh, USC is favored by three against Oregon. Talked about this earlier. I'm gonna go with uh, Oregon uh, plus three. I think USC wins by one point. Um, what else? I got. Oh yeah, college football on Saturday, Big Ten Championship between Ohio State and Northwestern. Ohio State's favored by four touchdowns. I think they're going to blow out Northwestern. Um, wow. It's not going to be close. Uh, Clemson, uh, Notre Dame, game of the week easily. Uh, I'm going to go Notre Dame plus ten and a half with this one. Oh. And uh, I think Clemson wins by a touchdown. Um, I think it's a touchdown swing from last time when these two teams played without Trevor Lawrence, but I think Clemson wins, but give Notre Dame the points, give them credit. They, uh, they're, they're a good team this year. Um, let's see. I like, I also like, what else? Oh, big 12, big 12 championship. Almost forgot that Oklahoma and, uh, Iowa state. I'm going to pick Iowa state. Uh, Ooh. I think I've liked what they've done this year with their coaching. Um, some of the guys that they brought in have really, really changed the program. They started off, I think, 0-2 to start the year, and they've won, like, nine straight, I'm pretty sure, eight or nine straight, something like that. But I'm going to go with Iowa State plus six. Uh, I think that's a good bet for this weekend. And then Alabama and Florida. Alabama's too too good. I'm going to pick them, and it's not even close. Yeah. So after what I saw from Florida this weekend with the shoot throwing and uh, – <laughs> And the LSU, keeping LSU hanging around, um, yeah, they're not ready for Alabama. I think uh, Alabama's going to run over this team. There you go. That's a, I mean, that's one heck of a dagger five right there. We got conference titles on the line. We got college football playoff uh, implications. So that's going to be, that's a, that's a heck of a lineup there. 
Um, yeah. So, okay, so I'm going to mix in, I'll mix in a little bit of uh, NFL football, but I have to go okay. with, I think my favorite game, though, I'll have to stick with um, out of your lineup with Clemson, Notre Dame. You know, this is a matchup. Notre Dame kind of getting bumped into the ACC this year from being an independent um, uh, team. So before they played Notre Dame, uh, with no, no Trevor Lawrence because of COVID-19. So um, I think that's a, you know, the game of the week so far. So I'm going to go with them. I'm going to go with Clemson taking that one, that revenge game. Uh, you know, if you might, you might remember Notre Dame fans stormed the crowd or stormed the field after. So that was high energy, high energy game, high emotion game. I think Clem, I'm going to take Clemson on that one. We're going to go um, to some NFL, Cleveland and Giants game. Uh, I'm going to take the Giants on that one. I just think that they have, I mean, both these teams have a lot to, to win, a lot to lose. It's going to be a high stakes game, but I think the Giants can, you're going to stay in that NFC East battle and take this one against Baker and the Browns. Um, we're going to go Saints and Kansas City. Uh, this is a little this is a little tricky one. Drew Brees is um, was slated to potentially come back from his fractured rib injury for this game, Week 15. Um, and so we'll see about Drew Brees. I, this changes a lot if you have Taysom Hill or Drew Brees. Uh, but I, I think I'm pretty I'm pretty positive Kansas City can pull this one out even with Drew Brees, um, if Drew Brees does come back. So that'll be a fun matchup to come to see and watch. Um, so, and then NFL again, Chargers and Las Vegas Raiders, a game that I know me and you and Taylor wish we could go to. Uh, can't wait for the days that we can go watch a Vegas Raiders, Chargers game. Go, <laughs> go lose all our money at the, at the, on the strip after. Uh, yeah. Or we could bet live at the game, which that would be awesome. Um, so uh, that would be super fun. So, but I think I'm going to go with, this is a shootout, came down to a last little fade route to the end zone um, from Herbert. So I'm going to go with Chargers. I think they bounce back on this game and they win um, in Vegas. So that's three right there. Um, sticking with NFC East, Seattle at Washington. And I think that um, it's crazy to say Washington's hot right now. That Seattle defense is a little bit brutal. As we know, um, I feel like the Seahawks are kind of on a little bit of a slump or a little bit of a – they're not them playing themselves right now um, after that Giants loss. So I think that Washington can win that one, surprisingly enough. Um, yeah. And so, let's see. So you got all the power five. Um, you said Oklahoma. You said Iowa. Yeah, Iowa State. Um, I'm going to go a little – actually, no, because Tennessee is not ranked. Um, and you said USC Tennessee plays a and That's a it's for playoff implications. Yeah, I think I'm going to go – I'll stick with um, A&M and Tennessee. Uh, I think – believe Texas A&M is ranked sixth right now or seventh. So, yeah, I think that's a big one. Um, potentially, we'll see what happens with the Bama game. Ohio, if Ohio loses – that could be a big time for Texas A&M to get in. Um, and so, yeah, that's a big, that's a big time one. And it's going to be a fun, fun dagger five. Got some divisional games, got some college football, this and that playoff and, and title games. So it's going to be fun. There we go. That's, yeah. the, that's the move. Dagger five out of the way. Um, dagger of the week. Um, let's get that. Let's get that through. Uh, Money Badger, no doubter against the Falcons to win it as time expired. 
Uh, couldn't leave that off of this week's edition of the um, Dagger of the Week. Uh, Corey, what do you got? Yeah, shout out to Money Badger for getting – hopefully he gets him back on his groove. He's been on a little bit of a slump, weird year. So that, that was a big one. Um, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go to – this is a little different dagger. This is talking about our – the pockets, the money money dagger. Uh, this has to go with Cleveland Browns plus three. Um, this is a bad beat, all-time bad beat. Uh, um, so – the game's three, uh, so Justin Tucker hits a 55-yarder. So, you know, you think that's the dagger, boom. But Browns get the ball back with a few seconds left. After you go the whoop, whoop, lateral, lateral, lateral. Uh, I, if you want, I could go I could go to on the, the play description, but it's one of the longest ones you ever see. So pretty much Jarvis Landry ends up in the back of the end zone. You thought maybe some move, movement would happen up there. This was a long play, and Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry ends up chucking the ball out safety and Cleveland ends up losing by five points. You lost your game. If you had the three spread, three and a half spread uh, Cleveland. So, yeah. So I'm sorry. Allegedly um, like millions of dollars were changed, changed hands just in that one play. So I'm going to go that a little money sports book, sports bet bat, uh, dagger for you right there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, sports gambling is uh getting popular a lot like throughout the United States I think 25 states have now legalized sports gambling so uh, that's something to keep your eye on uh, later on I know it's really really popular along the uh, throughout the Midwest Um, so yeah keep stay tuned for that but um, yeah in the meantime uh, stay tuned for uh, stuff throughout our Instagram and Twitter Uh, you guys know the ordeal with that Follow us on all our Apple and Spotify uh, platforms. You guys know the deal. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, we are not on before the holidays. Uh, We'll stay stay bundled up, stay safe, uh, have a happy holiday, everybody. Uh, And we will see you next time, whenever that is.